Well, good morning. My name is Bobby, one of the pastors here of Soma Northwest. Thank you for being with us this morning. I know it's July 4th week and lots of people are traveling, uh, lots of people doing stuff this weekend with family. So thanks for being with us today. Um, would you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14? John chapter 14. You'll find that on page 526 if you're using one of the blue or white Bibles around you in your seat. And as we say and have said and will continue to say, if you don't own a Bible, please take that as our gift to you this morning. John chapter 14, and I want to reread some verses that we looked at last week, starting in verse 12. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. As we've been seeing really since we started meeting on Sundays as Soma Northwest, Jesus came preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom of God. And the way that we have termed what that news that Jesus proclaimed was, what the kingdom of God is, is a life with God under the rule of God. Life with God under the rule of God. And in Jesus' teaching and in his doing, he was calling people and inviting people to experience that life with God under the rule of God. He taught them that in his miracles, in his interaction with people as Jess just prayed, the, the poor, the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the, the foreigner, the people who were on the margins of society. Jesus's life showed people glimpses of who God is and was showed people glimpses of what life with God under the rule of God could be. And as we come to John chapters 13 through 17, which we're working through this summer, we see, as John tells us at the beginning of chapter 13, that Jesus knew that his time on earth, his time with his closest friends who he'd gathered together was coming to an end, that he was going back to his father. And in chapter 14, verse 12, that we just read, Jesus tells his friends that they will continue on this kingdom work that he began. The teaching the good news of the kingdom, the proclaiming God's kingdom, the, the ministry, the work of the kingdom, bringing light into darkness, that his friends, his followers, the men who he had entrusted his ministry to, they would continue on his work. But the question I'm sure that they were thinking was how? How will we be able to continue what you are doing, God? These greater works that you say are going to be possible how is that going to be possible? We believe that you are the Messiah. We believe that you are God. We believe that you have power, supernatural power. And now you are telling us that we will do even greater things than you. 
How is that possible? I think as people, if you are here this morning and you are kingdom people, meaning you are followers of Jesus, that you have accepted that invitation of Jesus to be a part of the kingdom of God, to live life with God under the rule of God. I think for us, there are two ditches that we can fall into. Two ditches that we can fall into. The first ditch is that we can go all in on life with God. Life with God. That we desire, we can desire supernatural experiences. We can desire to see miracles and these greater works that Jesus was talking about in our circumstances, in our lives, in the lives of other people. We desire for God to use us in these things. We can desire to listen for supernatural revelation. You know, we, can, we can try to listen to what God is saying in us. And we can use language like God speaks to me or God tells me. And, and we can fall into the ditch where we desire to experience the power of God. But we separate that power from the word of God. We want the power of God, but that power is often separated from what God has said to us in his word. The other ditch is, is that we can fall into wanting to live life under the rule of God. We have people that want to live life with God. We have other people who want to live life under the rule of God. They want to know more about who God is and what he wants, and they want to obey what he has commanded in his word. They have a desire to obey the word of God. But often that desire to obey God's commands is often separated from an experience of God's power. They want to obey. They want to live the life that God wants them to live. They want to do the things that God has called them to do. But often in their doing, it is separated from experiencing the power of God. Life in the kingdom for us can often be falling in and out of both of those ditches. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. John tells us at the beginning of chapter 13 that Jesus loved his disciples. He loved his friends. And because he loved them and because he loves us, he promised not to leave them alone to continue the work of the kingdom. Because he loved them and because he loves us, he knew that they could only really live life with God under the rule of God through the spirit of God. They could only live life with God under the rule of God through the spirit of God. And here's my big idea for you this morning. This is what I want you to take away this morning. The spirit inside us is better than Jesus beside us. The spirit inside you is better than if Jesus was right there beside you. And we're going to unpack that this morning from John chapter 14. And we're going to bounce back over to John 16 a couple of times because Jesus continues his discussion on the spirit of God there as well. Read with me John chapter 14, 
picking up in verse 16. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The promise Jesus makes to his friends here is this. I will ask my father to send you a helper that will be with you forever. Now, when we preach here on, and teach here on Sunday morning, you're not going to hear us talk about the Greek and Hebrew languages a lot. Uh, partly, you're not going to hear that from me because I'm not very good at understanding those things. And I think sometimes pastors can say that to impress people. And I'm not trying to impress anybody up here. But what I want to share with you this morning is something important here in the language of what Jesus is saying. That word helper is the Greek word parakletos. And it's an adjective of the verb parakleo, which means to call alongside for the purpose of encouragement. So maybe in whatever translation of the Bible you've got in front of you there, you have that, uh, that word translated helper or advocate or counselor or comforter. And those are all good kind of translations of that word. Jesus is saying, I'm going to ask the Father to send you one who will come alongside of you to do all of those things, to help you, to advocate for you, to counsel you, to comfort you. But when we look here at the scripture and what Jesus is trying to say, to call the Spirit just a helper kind of sounds like he's powerless that he's just kind of here to help out, that he's kind of second class. To call the spirit just the advocate sounds too much like an attorney, that he's just filing legal briefs on our behalf, that he's standing in front of a judge to advocate for us. To call the spirit just a counselor kind of sounds like a camp counselor or a buddy, somebody you sit around a campfire, tell your life problems to, and hopefully get some encouragement from. And to just call him a comforter sounds like he's a blanket that you curl up next to when you need to feel good. What Jesus is saying here is so much more than that. And it hinges on that word that comes before parakletos. I will send you what? Another helper another one who comes alongside. What does that mean? If Jesus is going to send, ask the father to send another one, what does that mean? They already have one. They already have one who comes alongside to help, to advocate, to counsel, to encourage, to comfort. They already have another parakaleo, but that parakaleo is leaving 
And Jesus says, I am asking the Father to send you another. I am asking the Father to send the Spirit who will continue the work that I have started. He will continue what I have done. The Spirit of God is a continuation of Jesus. The Spirit of God is Jesus continued. Let's, and here's what I mean. The Spirit is coming to continue what Jesus has started because Jesus says, you already know him. You already know this Spirit. Well, how? How do they know the Spirit of God? Well, first he says, he dwells with you. Remember last week we talked about Jesus explaining his, to his disciples his relationship with his father. And the disciples saying, Jesus, okay, if you're going away, will you just show us God? Will you just show us the father? What was Jesus's response? You've already seen the father. Why have they seen the father? Because they've seen him. You know the Father already because you know me. The same is true here. He says, you know the Spirit because he is with you. And he is with you because Jesus was with them. They knew the Spirit of God because they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. They had seen Jesus work. They had heard Jesus teach. Do you remember back in John chapter 2? When Jesus first comes on the scene, there was a guy named John the Baptist, a different guy than this John, a guy named John the Baptist. And his ministry was to prepare people for Jesus coming. He was kind of like Jesus's hype man. He was getting people ready. He was getting people stirred up. He was getting people prepared for the ministry of Jesus when Jesus would come and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And you remember how that started? how that ministry started, Jesus comes to John where? Well, John was called John the Baptist for a reason because he was baptizing people. He was, it was, he was giving people a symbolic way to declare, I am ready for the Messiah. I am ready to follow the one that God is sending. And Jesus shows up, the one that God had sent the Messiah, the deliverer. And he comes to John and he allows John to baptize him. And do you remember what happens? John says that a voice from God, that everybody heard it, say, this is my son. And I am pleased with him. God was saying, okay, everybody, he's here. The deliverer is here. The Messiah is here. My son is here. And do you remember what happened next? This bird, this dove flew down. Again, a symbol of God's spirit coming to rest on Jesus, to empower Jesus for the ministry that God had sent him to do. Jesus is saying, you know the spirit because you've been with me. You've seen the Spirit's power because you've seen what I have done. You know what the Spirit, that he is the Spirit of truth because you've heard what I have taught and you've known that it was true. Jesus' life and ministry had shown them the Spirit's work. He says, you know the Spirit. 
because he is with you. But not only is he with you, he will be in you. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet in a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you alone. Remember, these are, the, these are his closest friends. John said he loved them. He loved them to the greatest extent of love. And because he loved them, Jesus says, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans to continue the kingdom work, to face the hostility of this world, to try to figure out life on your own. But Jesus says, I will come to you. I will come to you. And because I live, you will live. What's he talking about there? Because he lives, they will live. He's talking about his resurrection. He's talking about his resurrection. That because Jesus knew that he was going to die, that he was going to be buried, but that he was not going to stay dead. He knew that because he would come back from the dead and live, that his friends and his followers and everyone who would come after, who would believe in him, would live as well. That they would not see death for the rest of eternity. That they would not taste death like others taste death. That they would not live as people who have no hope, but that they would live because Jesus lives. And he says, I will come to you. I will come to you and you will see that I am living. If you flip forward a few pages in John to chapter 20, you don't have to do that now. You can go back and do that to make sure that what I'm telling you is true. If you flip forward a few pages to John chapter 20, you will see that after Jesus comes out of that grave, who does he go to? He comes right back to these men. He comes right back to these fellas right here that he made this promise to. He appears to them as their risen savior, the one that they had seen die, the one that they had seen put in the grave. He comes back to them and he says, receive the spirit of God. Jesus says, I'm not gonna leave you alone. I will come back to you. You know the Spirit now because you have seen Him. But you will know the Spirit even more when I come back to you because He will be in you. That is Jesus' promise here. That's Jesus' promise. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul wrote these words. I do not cease to give thanks for you. He's talking to the followers of Jesus who live in this city called Ephesus. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know 
What is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us to believe? Listen, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. What is Paul saying here? That for followers of Jesus, the same power that brought Jesus to life is at work in our life because the spirit is in us. Jesus says, because I live, you will live. We can know life with God under the rule of God because the spirit of God is in us. That is why Jesus can say in John chapter 16, verse seven, listen, listen to this, listen to what Jesus says and tell me if you would have been sitting there in that room, hearing him say these words, if you would have not thought he was crazy. Listen to what he says in John 16, verse seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. What? For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The parakletos will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That is why Jesus can say to his disciples, it's better if I leave. Because Jesus knew that the spirit inside of them was better for them than if he was beside them. And the same is true for us today. What does that power look like? What does it mean that God's spirit is inside of us this morning? Look at verses 25 and 26 of John chapter 14. Jesus explains to his followers what this means for them. What does it mean that the spirit of God is not only going to be with them, but is going to be in them? Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Spirit points us to Jesus by teaching us truth. The Spirit points us to Jesus by teaching us truth. Notice, it's not new truth. It's not new revelation from God. Jesus is saying the Spirit will bring to your remembrance what? All that I have said to you. In chapter 16, verses 12 and 13, Jesus says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. If you, tonight after it's dark, drive downtown to Monument Circle and you get out and you walk up 
to the monument. You'll be there with lots of other people, I'm sure. It's a nice night out. What you will see are a bunch of lights. You will see floodlights all around that monument. And sometimes there'll be white light. Sometimes they'll have colored lights, blue and pink, purple. What are those lights doing? They are lighting up that monument. Nobody goes downtown and gets out of their car and walks up to the monument and goes to one of those floodlights and says, man, this monument's making this light look so good. This light is amazing. I've never seen light like this. I don't even care about this monument back here. I just came here for this light. That's foolish. That's not the purpose of that light. That light is there to do what? To shine on that monument, to illuminate that monument. You go to Washington, D.C., you see this all over the place, all of the monuments all around Washington, D.C. At nighttime, there are lights all over the place and they're doing what? They are illuminating that monument. The Spirit is coming and has come to shed light on Jesus. The Spirit is the floodlight to the words of Jesus. The Spirit brings clarity to what Jesus taught to those who wrote to the church. That's why we call this book here God's Word. It's not because God dictated everything that should be written in here. It's because the Spirit of God called to remembrance what Jesus had said and gave the apostles who wrote this New Testament that we're reading out of now the insights and applications on Jesus's words in their own language to their own culture in their own time. The Spirit of God shed light on the words of Jesus and helped these men in this room write to the church, write to us. And as we read, the Spirit helps us make insights and applications from Jesus's words to our life, to our circumstances, to the culture and the times that we live in. That's been true for all the followers of Jesus before us. That will be true to all the followers of Jesus after us. It's not possible to experience the power of God apart from the scriptures. The spirit transforms you and he transforms me through the truths of the scriptures. Truths about who God is. Truths about who we are. Truths about the world that we live in. Working those truths out in us as we read it, as we study it, as we obey it, as we practice it. Remember Ephesians 1, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, the Spirit gives illumination to the words of Jesus to our hearts. That's why Jesus says he lives in you. It's better than if Jesus was just sitting beside you, teaching you. Jesus is telling his disciples and he's telling us here that the, the Spirit of God lives in us and is transforming us directly directly through his words.
How does this happen? The Spirit is constantly pointing us back to Jesus. I just want to tell you this this morning from the Scriptures. People who claim to be filled with the Spirit, who always are talking about how they're experiencing the Spirit, that it's Spirit, 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 Spirit in me, Spirit in me, me in the Spirit, they do not understand who the Spirit is and what He came to do. Because what Jesus is telling us here is that the Spirit doesn't want attention. And the Spirit is not going to bring attention to you or to me. The Spirit is here who lives in us to bring attention to Jesus. And if someone is not talking about Jesus, if someone's life does not look like Jesus, if someone is not reading and obeying the words of Jesus, they are not experiencing the Spirit of God. They are not experiencing the spirit of God. I just want to say this publicly. What, you, what we experience here on Sunday morning, what Tamise does, what the band and the singers up here do, is a great example of this. It's a great example of spirit-led worship. And I want to tell you why. Because it's not about how the music is done. It's not about what music, what music is like stylistically. It's not about uh, what it's like musically. It's not even physically what it's like, about people raising their hands or closing their eyes or whatever. It's about who it points to. And if you have come here on Sunday morning and you think of Jesus while you're singing, if you think of Jesus while whoever's up here is preaching. If you think of Jesus while you're interacting with people, if you're praising Jesus for being who he is, if you are thankful because of your experience on Sunday mornings for what Jesus has done in you and for you and through you, that is spirit-led worship. You can close your eyes, you can cry, you can lift your hands, you can be on your knees, you can do all of that thing and it not be spirit-led worship. Because if it's not about Jesus, it's not from the Spirit. If it's not about Jesus, it is not from the Spirit. And Tamise, I want to thank you because every Sunday morning we experience Jesus in this place. We experience Jesus in this place. And it's not limited to music, as we're going to see. But that's just a great example of it. The Spirit draws our attention to Jesus by teaching us, reminding us who Jesus is and what Jesus has said. Look at verse 20 with me. Truly, truly, I say to you. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm in verse 16, chapter 16. Verse 20 of chapter 14, in that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself or show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, 
If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The spirit draws our attention to Jesus by teaching us truth and the spirit gets us in on the oneness of the father and the son. The spirit gets us in. And let me explain what that means. God's love for us, what Jesus isn't saying here is that God's love for us is conditioned on our obedience to him. Our obedience, listening to Jesus's words and doing them, allows us to experience the dynamic of God himself. Our obedience, hearing the words of Jesus and doing them, allows us to experience that dynamic between the Father and the Son. What is true about everyone in this room who is a Christian is this. You are one with Jesus. You are one with God. The Spirit is in us. That's a relationship that has is as organic as a child to their parents, as a brother to their sister. There is a DNA there that happens, that is present with all of us who are Christians, that we are one at our deepest essence with who God is, and that will never change. But what Jesus is talking about here is our experience of that relationship our experience of that relationship that we have with the Father, with the Son, and with the Spirit. And what Jesus is telling his disciples here and telling us this morning is that we can experience the very unity of God himself. That we can experience the Father in the Son, the Son in the Father, that we are in the Son and the Son is in us. Will you turn with me to Ephesians chapter four? I want to read this, make a couple comments, and then we'll be done. Ephesians chapter four. Starting in verse one. This is the apostle Paul again writing. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. If we are maintaining the unity of the spirit, what does that mean? We already have the unity of the spirit. The unity of the spirit is already a thing. It's truth. It's present. Paul is encouraging us to maintain it, to maintain the unity of the spirit. How? There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. Again, Paul Belaboring the point, we have unity with God as Christians. 
We have unity with Jesus. We have unity in the spirit. That is true about us. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Look down, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the, the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood and womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine by human cunningness, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up into love. God gives us his spirit. He pours his spirit into you-shaped and me-shaped containers. God pours his spirit into us And one of the results of that is that when we follow the words of Jesus and allow the spirit to build up the church through us, then we experience unity. And he gives us examples here of apostles and prophets and teachers and shepherds. And those are just some of the ways that God uses us to build unity together. But he gives us this picture of a body working together. And there are some of us in this room who know what it's like when parts of our body do not work together with other parts of our body, right? What happens? We feel pain. We're not able to do the things that we want to do. Our brain tells us we can do something and our body quickly reminds us that it's not possible. We injure ourselves, and we feel the result and the pain and the brokenness in our body of that injury. What Paul is saying here is that God wants us to experience wholeness. He wants us to experience healthiness. He wants us to have a body that works together in unity. And the way that that happens is through the spirit. And when that happens... When that happens, Jesus and Paul tells us, you get a glimpse of who God is. You get a glimpse of who God is. When that unity happens, when that body is working together, when we come together, we see God and we get a glimpse of what God is like. Obedience is not just not sinning. When we read that, you know, whoever loves me will obey my commands, we immediately start thinking of the things that we say no to and the sin that we stop doing. And that's part of it, but that's, so, that's such a narrow view of what Jesus desires for us. Jesus wants so much more for us. 
He wants us to be who God says we already are, united with him. He wants us to do what God has created us to do, to continue the work that Jesus started, to continue the kingdom work. And the spirit of God is the way that we do that. The spirit of God is the, allows us to be who God has created us to be. The spirit of God empowers us to do what God has created us to do. What Jesus knew is this. The spirit isn't God beside us, just coaching us up, giving us some inspirational pep talks, being a camp counselor that's just telling us that things are gonna be okay. The spirit is God inside of us, at work in us, and at work through us. And that's why Jesus could tell his followers, it's better. It's better for you if I go. It's better for you if I am not here because I am sending another helper, another encourager another strengthener, another counselor, another advocate to empower you to experience the unity that God desires and to continue the work that I have started. Next week, we're going to get into that power in John chapter 15 a little bit more. And we're going to talk about what does that look like for us? What does that mean on an everyday basis for us to allow the power and the presence of Jesus Christ through his spirit to work in and through us? When we take a piece of the bread and we tear it off and we dip it in the juice, we call that communion because it is symbolic of the unity that we have with God and with each other because Jesus has died, because Jesus has risen, and because Jesus will come again. We are one with God and we are one with each other. And when we take this communion every week, we acknowledge that and we symbolize that and we remind that to each other. And so I wanna invite you this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, come and do this because this is true. This is true of you. This is true of your relationship with other followers of Jesus in this room. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, this is a meaningless symbol for you because it does not reflect the relationship that you have with God or the relationship that you have with other people in this room. And so stay in your seat. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. We want you to know that. We want you to experience that. We want that union to be true for you. And we want to talk to you about that. But if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, come and take this and remind yourself and remind each other that we are one through the Spirit. God, we thank you for your word this morning. And Spirit, we thank you that you take the words of Jesus and you drill those down into our lives. 
that you allow us to see how words that were spoken thousands of years ago are true for us today. And I just pray that we would be people who would live with the understanding that we are one with you, that we know you because the spirit lives inside of us. And I pray that we would be a community of people that remind each other of that and that we would be a community of people as we live, as we work, as we play in this part of Indianapolis or wherever we're coming from this morning, that people would see, hey, that's what God is like. That's who God is. We pray that through the power of the spirit of God. Amen.